Comic Book Decalogue, a podcast courtesy of the Comics Journal. My name is Greg Hunter, and on this podcast, we ask the same 10 questions to a different cartoonist with each installment. I'm recording this intro in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and presenting you with an interview recorded in New York City. Lauren Weinstein is this month's guest, and we spoke in what may have been the lobby of a dog hotel. We weren't totally sure, uh, but it can be hard to find a place to do these when you're on vacation. In any case, you'll be hearing a fun interview with a lot of, um, let's call it ambiance, in the background. You may know Lauren from the very personal, observational, funny, poignant, normal person's trip, formerly of the Village Voice, and now it's back. As of the last few weeks, Lauren's at it again, doing a new incarnation of normal person over at Popula.com. It's a humane, surprising look at the small steps people take in living in a trying, troubled world. Lauren will also be the spotlighted cartoonist in an upcoming issue of Frontier, the anthology series from Youth in Decline. Uh, the link for that is not yet live at youthindecline.com, but I believe the comic will be available at SBX. Uh, we talk a bit about that and so much more. But before that, an important question. If you enjoy this podcast, what can you do? Now, a lot of listeners are probably thinking, Greg, you do not emote much on the mic and seem on the whole oddly reserved for someone doing an ongoing project of this kind. And you're right. I'm trapped in a cage of my own design, obviously. But the fact remains that anytime you give a shout out to the podcast, I do appreciate it. And if you've enjoyed recent episodes, tell a friend on social media or in person. If this is your first time listening and you'd like to hear more, you can go to Apple Podcasts and look for the TCJ Talkies podcast feed. That's TCJ Talkies, where all previous episodes are available. But right now, please enjoy 10 Questions with Lauren Weinstein. All right, the first question on the list is, what's the last comic you finished reading? The last comic I finished reading was Love That Bunch by Aileen Kamisi Crumb. Mm-hmm. I just saw her speak at Housing Works Bookstore, and I that book floored me. I realized how much, how influenced I've been by her. And it's just, I love books, comic books that are, feel really meaty. Like, it's just, there's just so much detail, and, and that book was actually, it was so well produced, too. Like, her pages deserve to be blown up a little bit, and when I read, read her work before, it seemed more cramped, and this book gave them a little more space, so it's just fantastic. I'm so happy to see that book out in the world. How long ago did you first encounter her comics? A long time ago, but... I don't, let's see. Probably Twisted Sisters, right? She was in that. Yeah, and Weirdo. So, right, like, late 90s. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I don't think I realized how influential she was. And and also, I was actually just rereading my book, Girl Stories, and, and then looking at some of my older work, and, and I didn't realize that she'd written this amazing story about camp. And maybe I'd even read it. And then I wrote a story about going to camp, and I was like, how did... She, she's so she's so good. I, don't know. <laughs> I also oh another book I read that I highly recommend. I don't know if it's come out yet. Is Aisha Franz's Shit Is Real? I actually blurbed it, so I've, I am promoting something right now. But it's like the, one of the greatest comics I've read of recent history. But you know, it doesn't have the same amount of meat on the page. Sure. It's this. It's a really different rhythm. Yeah, it's so good. It's um. It's awesome. <laughs> And our second, no, our second question is, I'll edit that out. Okay, second. Our second question is, what cartoonist doesn't get enough 
praise. See, everybody I like gets a lot of praise because they're good. <laughs> who, who, what little unknown gem cartoonist do I know of that other people don't know of? I think I'll just use this time to say other cartoonists that I, I just really like. Sure. They all get praise. Like, I love Gabrielle Bell. Mm-hmm. I love Eleanor Davis. Um, I think Chris Ware probably gets a lot of praise. Yeah. <laughs> I love his work. I think um, there's a huge backlash of Crumb right now, but I love Crumb's work. But um, I get where people are coming from when they, they bash him, too. Yeah, I would never try and convince somebody who didn't like Crumb to like him for his subject matter, but I do think... For me, reading his comics kind of opened the door for my own self-expression uh, early on. So I, I feel like that um, that is worth defending. But I don't know. His, some of his comics were pretty racist. Some are misogynist. How much do you allow for stuff that's just wrong? And how much is it just puking out the darkest parts of your brain? think about that stuff all the time <laughs> I think for me uh, part of the question is the, the usefulness of keeping something in print yeah like um, I'll use like a slightly different example um, but like when I think of the Fanta graphics Carl Barks releases there's mm-hmm. some racist elements yeah of those two and I at once think it's uh, defensible that uh, a company like Fanta makes those books available to readers mm-hmm. my daughter loves them well, this okay. That, I'm interested in this then. Yeah. Like whether or not you think it's a little dubious that they, knowing the the more problematic elements of those, if it's a, a somewhat dubious move to still market them to children to have a child friendly trade dress as opposed to more, a more archival book design, right? Where um, that's part of the you know the exigencies of keeping something like that in to try and market it as widely as you can. I think. That's where the parent comes in. I mean, I, they don't have any control over that, but that, those are conversations that we have mm-hmm. as a family. You know, if, if there are things that we, you know, we talk about, how to, does this seem fair? Is this right? And it's interesting because she's now reading by herself, so those things don't come up as much. We used to read those stories to her, so she's just taking all that stuff in. But I think it's a historical thing, and if it's your job to kind of give people... Kids more of a, a grounding, mm-hmm. a historical background. The other day, Ramona was watching the show about Marie Antoinette, and it said that like she started the French Revolution. And Tim was like, "No, she didn't. That's like just blaming this materialistic woman on on that, and that's not not fair. There are other people involved." <laughs> so. I think these things should not be changed. I think you can't go back. It's like re- redoing um, redoing Star Wars. Right. <laughs> but except with racism and much... I don't know. Or redoing E.T. where it's not as scary anymore. Some things are really scary and bad. Uh, you mentioned uh, so far a number of autobiographical cartoonists or comics memoirists. Mm-hmm. And I want to ask you, uh, with respect to your own work, this is sort of... Uh, an eleventh question on the list, which I've come to ask a lot of people who work in that vein. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if it's ever weird meeting people who know you through your work, or mm-hmm. presume to know you through your work, yeah, you ever feel at, at somewhat of a disadvantage there about the information they have about you, or 
or the impressions that he was a person via you as an artist? I don't know. I like it. I like people knowing me already before they, they meet me. I think, I think that's cool. <laughs> I mean, I, I try and make work that feels genuine. A lot of times I'll, I'll change the story a little bit to make it fit better into a story. So then sometimes people recall a story and it's not 100% truly true. And I'll be like, that's not really that way. I, I've debated a lot whether or not comics are cathartic or not. What's the reason? And I think that, I don't know, I, I, I want other people to kind of identify with them or disagree with them. I don't know. Uh, but I think it's fine for people to think they know me <laughs> or know things that... I, I'm, just, I'm now thinking, how different is the person that I portray in my comics is that person from me? Well, not that different. Like right now, I'm working on a a 32-page comic about um, giving birth. And it's definitely going to be very, very um, graphic. And I'm just wondering right now why I even want to tell this story. Like That's all I I think about when I'm walking around constantly. Why am I doing this? What's the the meaning behind this? And and I, I have certain thoughts about it, just namely that... People haven't heard, I think, very detailed accounts of giving birth from the person who has given birth. Like, I don't, I don't really think there are that many stories like that in the world. And that's fucking insane that we're living right now and that there aren't that, that many of these stories. And I guess those are the kind of stories I like to tell. Ones that feel like they have meaning and haven't been told a lot of times before. In terms of storytelling and motivation, most of the time, do you find your way toward uh, an articulation for yourself of why you're creating a piece, or are those motivations sometimes still opaque by the time you've finished a comic? Mostly by the time I finish it, I know. And and I like not totally knowing. Like I, I, I feel like I won't quite know why I'm telling this story completely until I'm done with it. I like the surprise and not having that clear picture. Mm-hmm. But like, I know that the framework for this one particular story is really, really exciting for me. So it's kind of all I can think about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and I know that as I work through it, I'll, I'll know, I'll learn like more about myself and more about the world. Mm-hmm. In some ways, I feel like. That's the point of doing autobiographical. Like, sometimes I draw from life a lot, and I'll learn how things work just from drawing from life. Like, oh, how does, how does that gutter system work on that roof? I never even noticed it before, but now I'm, like, slowing down and I'm seeing it. And I feel that's the same way with, with looking deeply into your own life. And the problem with, like, the Internet is that it blurs the lines between your life and everybody else's life because you're getting so much information so fast and that's what I love about making comics is that it makes you slow down and get off that roller coaster I like that a lot does your older daughter know you're creating a story about getting birth I mean, how much uh, yeah. is she interested in reading your comics all at that age okay so my older daughter her friend read girl stories recently and 
said, hey, did you know that your mom had a boyfriend named John and she gave him a bag of dirt to break up with him? And, and Ramona said, no. Because she's incredibly into comics right now. She's reading, as I said before, like Carl Barks and, and um, loves Rand Tegelmeyer. And my books are like, uh, Girl Stories is older. She, I think, is very interested and sort of idealizes it but I know that I can't show her, for example, this um, birth story. It is, involves very graphic things. <laughs> um, and so I don't, I don't exactly know how I'm going to do that, because she will read it. Um, I, just, I did a comic for a normal person about us going to the Women's March together, and she actually vetoed that. She's eight years old, so this is the first moment of recognition that I was going to be doing things about her and she vetoed me putting in a passage about her singing at the end of the women's march. It's not okay to take away if it's giving to the rich. And I thought that that was like just like a beautiful thing for an eight year old to say, but it was very uh, embarrassing for her. So I think. Um, to be careful about that stuff and, and the other thing about when you have kids you don't want to exploit them for material and I feel like eight is almost like a cutoff. like she's really really aware of it so I think birth is a, is a good thing to talk about because it, my younger daughter isn't really person yet <laughs> she doesn't she's not doing anything that's embarrassing except for being born but when other people are involved that performative aspect gets very 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 tricky to be really careful with that I remember a million years ago I made a comic about breaking up with this guy and he actually broke up with me but I made it that I broke up with him because he ate cereal in a very loud way <laughs> and it was published in Seattle Stranger and after the breakup and everything, he came over. I, I knew that he'd never see it because the internet didn't exist yet. And then he came over to my house and he saw this comic just laying around and he started to cry. Oh. <laughs> and I realized that's like terrible. I don't, I don't need to do that, people. So, so there's a, there is like a balance that I've been working on this one autobiocomic for 15 years, like a memoir that never ever gets finished and always gets pushed aside mm. because I find all these other things to be interested and excited about. But that one, as I've gotten older, I feel like it is almost fiction. Like, I've told sure. these stories to myself so many times. At this point, the story has replaced the reality. And so, in some ways, it frees me up a lot to just make it fiction. So, it will be. It is. <laughs> I'll look back to the list now. Uh, the third question on the list is, what's the most widely loved comic you can't connect with? Gosh, you're asking me to be so critical. Watchmen, I can't, I don't know, I can't get through it. <laughs> I'm just not like a superhero person, and I, I don't, even something that's supposed to be like really well written, I just, I can't um, get into the characters. Sure. And I don't, I, I didn't grow up with superhero comics, so I don't, have that love, deep love of, of what they were, and so whenever something smart is written about them that recasts them, I still don't can't get into it. 
That makes sense. I think Watchmen is as deconstructionist as its impulses yeah. are. Still depends on a kind of baseline familiarity and a little affection, probably, for the superhero tropes. Yeah, I even taught it before to my students because I really? know they'll get into it. But I just, it's at, at a deep level, I can't really connect with it. And question number four: You can send one comic back in time to yourself at fourteen. What is that comic? <laughs> Okay, I wish I'd seen Gary Panther's work earlier mm-hmm. um, because his work straddles the line between art and comics, and I think that that would have helped me realize that I could have gone in all these different directions and not beat myself up for not being one kind of cartoonist or one kind of artist. When I was 14, I wanted to be a painter, and I didn't understand that that you could be a cartoonist, like that, that even a woman could be a cartoonist. <laughs> How much formal art training did you have? Because you went to Wash U uh-huh. right, for, for yeah. undergrad, which is not an art school. Yeah. It has a fantastic... Well, I went to um, their art school. Okay. Um, I, went to, I majored in painting there. So I, have, I actually had a lot of formal training. And in high school, I was obsessed with making um, photorealistic pencil drawings. Uh-huh. It's like what was, I would get really into it and just draw and draw like a pile of leaves. I would spend like hours just drawing a pile of leaves. And in art school, I had formal lots of well, they didn't teach. This is like the postmodern painting era, so, so like there wasn't that much like academy style instruction. It was more like, here's some materials. Find out what you can do. We'll give you lots of resources. You know, like they, they had um, Max Beckman and Philip Dustin in their collection, and you could just go like rent out those paintings and sit sit with them. That was pretty amazing. But yeah, I, I got a pretty good painting instruction, but I guess not the most rigorous formal training. Like, I wish I knew more about perspective. <laughs> really not that good at it. I could learn. <laughs> but uh, Are you ever stumped when your students have questions about yeah. sort of formalist things like that? Mm, yeah, but then I just say I don't know how to do it. <laughs> I, I'm pretty honest about the things that I don't know. I, I think that's a really important thing when you're teaching, just to be honest. <laughs> and also, students will always know more than you say about technology. So just also being honest about that, saying, hey, can you teach the class and specifically me how to use Tumblr or something? It's nice. All right, we talked a bit already about your how readers relate to you mm-hmm. and how you relate to readers, but our, our fifth question is, how much do you think about readers when you're making a comic? I, thought, I think about readers a lot well it depends on what the comic is but for normal person I was thinking about readers I was thinking about so normal person is like weekly comic and a lot of ways it was just a response to whatever was going on that week in the world but I I always felt like I was trying to gauge the mood of whatever was happening and Mm -hmm. trying to spit out some kind of emotional response to it so I really did want to speak directly to my audience. That's the great thing about, I think, a, a weekly, is that it allows that communication with an audience. So I, I was thinking a lot about the audience for that, that comic. For other comics I've done, like The Goddess of War, 
you know, when you work with a really small publisher, I was given the chance not to think about an audience, just to sort of think about what was interesting to me and how I could just do whatever I wanted to. Like for this birthing comic, I guess I'm thinking about an audience, but I'm more thinking about telling a story that really people haven't told in detail before. And that in and of itself will generate an audience Mm -hmm. or alienate lots of people. But either way, I have the space to do it. And our sixth question, what's the closest you've come to quitting? The closest I've come to quitting was before I had my kids. I just felt lost and I was sort of trying to do all these different projects and nothing was really coming together. And after The Goddess of War came out, I was just kind of like casting around. And I felt like this really long teenage memoir that I was working on just wasn't wasn't coming together and, and really was I cut out for this work at all. And I thought actually having a baby might make the urge to draw and make comics go away. But instead it made it stronger. It threw down the gauntlet. It was like, you... Now that it's really hard to do this, do you want to do it? Sure. <laughs> do you still want to do it? And that that actually made me want to do it more. And question number seven. We've talked a bit already about uh, art and pedagogy, but what's the best advice you've heard about making comics? <laughs> I think Carol Tyler. Oh, who I love. She's another person. Maybe she... You know what? But she's the one... Who doesn't get enough praise. Who doesn't get enough praise. She's the one that doesn't get enough praise because that book that she wrote about her dad was yeah, amazing. Yeah, Soldier's Heart. Or, Soldier's Heart, yeah. Collected as yeah. Soldier's Heart. Yeah, that thing blew my mind. Mm-hmm. That's a great book. Right, why isn't... That should be on every list, every comics that you should read list. Uh, she just wrote on Facebook, get her done. <laughs> just those three words is exactly what you need when you're making comics, just this idea... If, if there's too much space between me and a project in terms of time, <laughs> then all these crows that sit upon my shoulder start to tell me that I suck and I'm not worthy of working. And, and when you have a quick deadline, it, it makes it easier. And I, I find there's no difference between comics that I slave away making really good and comics that I, I do fast. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, it's nice to do some ahead of time and then think about it but like the amount of work I generated with normal person for me is, is like incredible and that kind of like do or die deadline really works well for me so that I think her, her advice there is great <laughs> and question number eight what's the worst decision you've made as a cartoonist the worst as a cartoonist decision I've made as a cartoonist well, I don't think this is a conscious decision, but I never choose things that, like, make money and, like, never make money. <laughs> um, so, like, why can't I make something that's just everybody loves and just generates? Oh, you know what? The worst decision I've made as a cartoonist, actually, this is the better answer, is not finishing this graphic memoir that's mm-hmm. 15 years late that is really, is like a terrible thing on my back that I always, always have to think about any move I make it's delayed all of these other things because at this point I have enough almost enough material for like a motherhood book and enough material for like a normal person book but I have this book deal that's so so late and an editor that's like yeah just take your time and not 
finishing that is like a constant source of anxiety. Uh, <laughs> now with the teenhood memoirs, yeah. are there pages you would have to redraw at this point, or is it just a matter? Yeah, like all the pages, because <laughs> I've worked at it for so long that it, they're all a different world. All the pages are in different worlds. I like to talk about it, but I don't really want to talk about it. <laughs> right. It makes me so upset. That sure. is totally the worst mistake, not finishing it. And that's really great advice for other cartoonists. I see that, too, with students I teach. Ugh, when Sometimes people are holding on to projects for, like, 35 years, and it's like a tumor that's growing inside of them. They need to get it out, and it's really uh, important. <laughs> Uh, question number nine. What work from another medium has influenced you the most? Uh, painting. Definitely. I love, well, right, I love this painter named Paula Moderson Becker and Alice Neal and Rembrandt. Painters that create this kind of humane, tangible, spiritual world. I'm very affected by color. It really affects me. So... Yeah, and Max Beckman, I love him. You mentioned uh, before we started recording that you're about to do some research for a New Yorker piece mm -hmm. on painting. Do you know when that's coming out? Is that something you're able to talk about? Yeah, yeah. I don't know what's coming out. The, the, the editor has literally given me no edits. He's like, it's great, just finish it. And whenever you're done, get it done. That's great. So I'm trying to finish it in the next couple weeks, so hopefully it'll be out soon after that. It's just going up online. Mm -hmm. But um, it's a four-page piece about this painter named Paul Motors Becker, who, I mean, she was only around until her early 30s, 32, I think is when she died. But um, the piece I'm working on is about trying to do art and be a mom. And her paintings are kind of all about that way, way before anybody else did anything like that. So she's amazing. I kind of don't want to talk too much about it because I want sure. people to read the story. But it's a really, it's a good story. All right. Hopefully by the time this is up, we'll have a link to it. And our final question, question number 10. Aliens have made contact with Earth, and they seem benevolent, but we still want to make a good impression. You've been selected to introduce them to comics, so what do you show them first? <laughs> oh, well, that's easy. I would show them... Little Lulu. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because those stories talk so much about humanity's <laughs> cruelty <laughs> and niceness to each other. Uh, also, yeah, I'd show them the classics. I'd show them Karl Barks. Because there are alien stories with, like, they visit. That's right. But then maybe I'd show them Linda Berry, too. Because just to give them a broad range. You never know what would resonate. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I guess that's that's probably what I would show them. And then we could go on a walk in the park together. <laughs> <laughs>